Hello, I'm Alex Mosed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle against big tech monopolies and how to fight back against big tech and win. We've got a great show today, and we're going to kick off with Scott Barrows, the CEO of recently you know, updated named Blue Palette, a B2B marketplace in the chemical industry uh, vertical, and also a recent inductee on our inaugural uh, ranking of the top 50 B2B marketplace startups. Uh, Scott, welcome. Great to have you really back on the show. Yeah, <laughs> great to be here with you with you guys. And uh, as you know, we're a big fan of modern monopolies and Applico. And you guys have kind of been our North Star for the last three to four years as we've been building this. So it's great to be here. Awesome. Appreciate that, Scott. So I've got uh, this fancy... You know, Yahoo Finance article, Blue Palette exits stealth mode to launch online marketplace backed by the chemical industry. I mean, that sounds pretty cool. What does that mean? <laughs> well, we took it from uh, Modern Monopolies, to be honest. Uh, I think in one of, one of you guys' chapters, you write about kind of how Facebook grew and Facebook grew by starting with a quality network that's already been built and building kind of a tool and value for that, as they did with Harvard and then moved on to different universities and uh, building on existing networks instead of having to try to build your own. So um, we knew that we wanted to set up a beachhead in North America. We knew that we wanted to set a beachhead with chemical distribution because we thought it was strategic to kind of be in between the producers and the manufacturers and also with the end users. And so um, NACD has very strategic, uh, stringent guidelines as far as being a member. And they also make up about 92% of the overall commerce for North American distribution. So it just made sense to work with their network and group and then kind of grow from there. Awesome. And so the NACD is the National Association of Chemical Distributors. Are they an association? Or are they also a buying group or are they, are they more of just an association? Uh, strictly trade association. They'll set up uh, guidelines for compliance, uh, guidelines for responsible distribution. They'll send uh, their participants through audits to make sure every three years they're staying compliant. And then, you know, same thing as trade shows and, and so forth as that. Getting an industry association to, you know, publicly anoint, right? And, 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 and join an official partnership uh, with any startup, let alone a startup that has, you know, a new business model, marketplace business model, that can be a pretty uh, tall order. You know, what were the motivations behind uh, the NAC, NACD wanting to, to really take that on and kind of formalize this relationship? It's been about a three to four year process. And when we first went down to kind of try to explore the opportunity of working with the chemical industry, we went down to one of their national associations and uh, one of the, say, top three uh, monopolistic marketplaces were down there at the same time, pitching to be their strategic partner. And uh, their board actually turned that marketplace down. And so we thought that was a really interesting and potential learning lesson to see, you know, just continue to ask, why would you not want to work with this massive marketplace if you guys are very eager as an industry yourselves to get into networks and platforms and e-commerce? And so we kept asking question after question and, and started to getting, building our roadmap from there. And so there was kind of three main points that they laid out to us. They said, you guys have to figure this out. And until you do, then um, we're going to continue to stay on the sideline or someone needs to figure it out. So for these distributors, and we, we've seen it very a common story along a lot of these industrial verticals is that 
the majority of their contracts are regional. So um, if I am, say, Univar, Brentag, I may have a regional contract with uh, Dow or BSF, and they'll say, you can sell my isopropanol, but you can only sell it in Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. So that immediately does not allow me to list that responsibly on Amazon because Amazon or Alibaba or the more open marketplaces for B2B do not allow you to pick and choose which states and regions or countries or companies see that product or not. So we had to build in what we call a permission-based marketplace. And it allows the users or the members to go in there, either on a global level or all the way down granular to an individual product or drum and say, I only want these five states to see this product or not, or I want to mark this price up to these three customers, but down for these other two, or I want to broadcast it to these 12 branches, but not these other eight. So they can do whatever system they want to to build up these customized networks and build infinite networks, depending on what their corporate strategy is, instead of just having one choice of saying, I want to list isopropanol, I post it, now everybody on this marketplace can see it at the exact same price. Now, when you say they, you're talking about the chemical distributor, right? Uh, distributors and manufacturers. So uh, we, we've also decided to be a decentralized marketplace. And that's come from doing a lot of study on the challenges of supply chain resiliency. And um, we really feel that, that the model needs to change from the traditional, hey, we're a B2B marketplace or a B2C marketplace or we're a C2C marketplace. But that, that, may, that may work when everything's like fine and dandy. But when you have all these problems going on in the world and challenges, they keep coming up more and more with COVID, with Texas freezing over, Suez Canal getting blocked, Mississippi getting shut down. Like, There's times where the distributors need to be able to sell back up to the manufacturers, or there's times where the end customers have slow moving and dead stock inventory that can be used instead of getting sent to a landfill, and they could sell it back up to a distributor or to an end customer. And so there's so many different ways, depending on what's going on in that day and time of history where sometimes it's C2C is better, sometimes C2B is better, sometimes B2B is better. But we want to give the members, a member is a member is a member, regardless if they're a supplier, a distributor, or a patent coding company um, somewhere in Tulsa. So that's kind of a big differentiator too that we think is extremely important, whoever's building one of these models out uh, moving forward. Yeah, I think you know maybe one of the common sentiments there is most of your whether it's a large tech monopoly um, or uh, certainly some of the, the high-flying unicorn B2B marketplaces, which, which were featured in our ranking, you know, their ultimate goal is to uh, disintermediate the distributor in many circumstances, right? And um, I mean, look at Amazon uh, in B2C, Amazon business on the B2B side, you know, they very much so view the distributor as an ends to a means. And the means is to just leapfrog the distributor and go, you know, uh, ultimately to the manufacturer and, and connect the manufacturer direct to either a consumer or a business customer. And so that's what I find really interesting, you know, and I hear it coming through in different ways is saying, how do we give more power and optionality to? Distributors. How do we help solve their needs with with an eye towards genuinely helping the distributor? Sure, a manufacturer could also uh, get involved in the marketplace, but it doesn't mean that 
you know, and, 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 and is recognized by the NACD's kind of stamp of approval, you know, that what that really to me is signaling is, hey, we're not here to screw over all of the distributors in the industry. We're actually here to try and help you run a better business, digitize your business, kind of embrace a new business model, but do that in a way which can be accretive. And ultimately, with, you know, the rub is that for Blue Palette's business model is that, you know, you are making really a business decision to say, well, there's probably going to be a little bit less margin on the bone for us if we don't plan on cutting out the distributor at the end of all of this, right? Like when you're pitching it to your investors and what the vision is, most of the, certainly I know pretty much all the, the, the marketplaces and certainly the tech monopolies like an Amazon, you know, that is the goal. Sure. We'll kind of, we will put up with this for a while, but ultimately we'll have so much demand and we'll have so much power over supply. We'll just, you know, put our thumb down more and more on the supply and squeeze more and more margin out of that for ourselves. But that isn't necessarily a part of your calculus, right? That's at least kind of what I'm reading by what you're saying and and the NACD's, you know, partnership here. Is that accurate? Yeah, no, you're correct. And and uh, and honestly, we we made a big pivot on our revenue model after I watched. Uh, your one video on supply side protections and about how that really negatively affects the sell side. And, um, you know, chemical industry, fortunately for them, they're one of the last remaining large verticals that have not really gone full in to e-commerce and platforms and so forth. And so um, I've kind of tried to tell everybody, you know, they're nice enough to have me speak at the regional and national conventions. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be the person that runs in here and screams fire in the movie theater, but you don't need a crystal ball to see how this ends. There's other industrial verticals that have gone down this path already and completely become reliant on these two-sided marketplaces that will continue to put themselves in the middle of every single transaction. And that's extremely dangerous because as you become, and I'm copying your words and saying this, but as you become more and more reliant on that centralized marketplace, you lose your supply side protections and they'll continue to go up from 5% to 6%, 7%. Until you have to tap out, especially for chemical distributors, their particular industry probably has about a 10% gross margin. There's not a lot of room there. And then all of a sudden, it's Amazon Basics and isopropanol being sold in drums. So um, yeah, so it's like, so we had to switch our business model. We, we thought we could come in and be smart by just saying, okay, for raw materials and chemicals, Amazon charges 6 to 12%. So we're just going to come in 1% across the board. And then people will appreciate that. But we learned from studying some of the other marketplaces that had failed in the past and reading some of the comments by the participants, uh, the feeling was pretty strong saying, hey, you know, we're okay on like new sales that maybe we didn't have opportunities to, but we really don't appreciate a technology or a software or a platform getting in the middle of the business that I've already um, earned. So if I have a major contract with BASF or I have all these customers that I'm already doing business with, I'm not just going to hand you 3% of my profit when I'm only making 10% because you somehow made my life a little bit easier. You know, so they're just automatically saying no. And so we're like, how do we charge somehow and make money off of this, but still provide value um, and, and not upset them on those transactions they already have? So that's where the market network structure came in. So we're like, okay, if they're okay with us making money on the new transactions, we'll make them, we'll put a markup on that. And so there's two major distinctions on that. So that's how we make our main transactional revenues only on new sales that they would not have had access to. And the second part is that we purposely mark that up. We don't say, 
okay, BSF or Brentig, you want $100 for that drum. We're going to sell it for 100 and then give you back 90 Because all of a sudden now, if that customer looks at Amazon and they look at their own little site, they're going to choose Amazon every time because Amazon has a better mousetrap. But, um, but now we say, okay, you know, we'll have our, we have our marketplace tool. You can use it if you want. You don't have to. But anytime you feel like it's fit, you can broadcast to our marketplace. We'll mark it up, say 5% or so. And then you know if you, if you end up meeting that customer at a trade show or your sales rep calls them up and you find out they're on Blue Pallet and they've got a trade pass, you're like, oh, great. Let's exchange trade pass IDs. Now we get a free trade zone. And now we can utilize that technology that Blue Trade and Blue Pallet built for us. And now we, we think it's even better than what we could utilize on Amazon. Now we have our own tool. And so I think that's really what started to resonate. And it was it, probably the best moment I had was speaking to the, um, the board. And there's about 40 of the main presidents and CEOs out in DC. And they're like, oh, can you give us an update of where you guys are at? And I spoke about the product. And then as the presidents and CEOs were going around, they started speaking about it. It was like, well, now that we have our platform, well, now that our platform does this. And so that was probably one of the best validating moments of what we had tried to do. And you know, one of your articles that we read at the very beginning was that the only way you're going to protect yourselves or these industries are from these monopolistic marketplaces is you got to build your own solution. And it's too hard to expect, and it's not fair to expect a chemical company to build a platform that can compete with Amazon. And people have tried building their websites and maybe connecting with a couple other people. But we really tried to come in to this industry and say, we're going to listen to you. We actually sponsored their trade association for two years before we even had a product. And we're like, just tell us what you need to feel safe and secure, to be able to sell online and feel like you're actually getting value. And it's building and empowering your business instead of reducing it. Because with these two-sided marketplaces, the two main things we've seen over and over and over is commoditization of prices but also commoditization of services for the distributors. And at the end, like you can look at other industries that it's affected this. And I've come from some of them and I've seen it and it's not fair to the distributor. And then it ends up not being fair to the customer because you think you're getting more and more value by being able to buy something for one penny less or $1 less. But then everybody's just battling to build the cheapest product and every other value that a distributor can bring that is true value is not represented in the offering. So we're really, really trying to build a new model that protects the integrity and the value of what a distributor does and also a supplier and allow them to build out one-to-one relationships through a network and no marketplace can take that away from them. And then they can just utilize a marketplace on the side when they feel like that benefits them as well. But they're not, they're not stuck to just that marketplace or stuck remaining a linear business model. They're literally sitting at the end of this dock saying, do I have to jump off? Kind of like the Nokia... CEO in the beginning of that. So I love the thinking there. And I think it is particularly for some of these um, B2B distribution verticals where you got just heavy stuff, much more hyper-localized networks. Um, you know, you you have a very different model of level of supply chain fragmentation. And so, you know, I think you know, you can only go against the grain so much, you know, when market conditions are what they are. And ultimately, you know, they're, they're not as fragmented when you, when compared to B2B distribution verticals where you've got pack and ship is, you know, 60, 80% of, of, of the stuff that really changes the game for, um, you know, how, how you can solve that chicken and egg problem. So I really like this approach. 
and you know love it see that you got uh 37 distributors here kind of in in the beta that are uh, members of the nacd um and you also have a four million dollar fundraise which kind of went along with merging in the the fintech company kind of rebranding here as blue palette um, and kind of formalizing all of this stuff here. Um, so the, you know, the next topic I'm going to talk about on the show is, uh, about rising VC valuations and, and the state of, you know, the, the, the private tech, uh, company, uh, industry and, and, and what's going on with the multiples there. But this round, actually, I, I, I actually don't know if, if there was a VC or if this, it looks like you got a lot of industry veterans that were involved in this. Is this something that, you know, was, was driving, um, you know, was driving this, like saying, were you looking at the traction that ecosystem already had going into this and what, um, you know, what, uh, um, Valachi had also, and you say, Hey, like we were doing this much volume and, 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 and that was a way that you kind of built into the $4 million number and obviously projecting out what you need the money for going forward. But what was it like navigating the, the valuation environment and, and the deal structuring environment for this, for this deal that you just did, kind of given all the other stuff that you had um, in motion? Oh, it sucks. <laughs> but uh, no, it's been, a, it's been an interesting path. I mean, the $4 million that we had 3 million raised through three separate seeds when we were just ecosystem. And that was majority of that money came from industry vet, veterans, like you were talking about. So we had the Terry Hill, the former president of Univar, they were the largest distributor in the world when he was at the helm. And then two of the former chairman of the board of NACD, uh, Matt Brainerd and Bruce Scheckinger pitched in as well. And so we wanted to, to find high integrity individuals within the industry that could get behind us. And so and they straight up said too, they're like, listen, you know, integrity and, and also like um, our name is, we built it up for 30 years, each of us. And so we're not going to come in and be a part of something that's going to actually be detrimental to distribution and, and our fellow companies and partners. So if we get behind this, you have to give us your word that this is going to help distributors out and not hurt them. And so we're like, yes, absolutely. Here's the plan. We laid it out to them. They're like, oh, we get it. We see why this is different. And they wanted some board seats or some more control usually, <laughs> right? It's, it's not just give me your word, Scott. It's usually right, it comes right, with right. a little yeah, bit yeah, more yeah. teeth. I don't, I don't want to give the full details because then all of a sudden everyone else is going to be like, oh, well, he only gave that and he got this. So. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so then, so then after the 3 million, we actually... So COVID-19 hit, obviously, and we had, we'd run... Uh, you know, about a quarter million of just test transactions through the system with our beta group. And then we received a letter from the White House via our trade association saying, hey, we're having issues trying to source uh, COVID-related chemicals, raw materials, and finished goods. Uh, if you have any in stock, please let us know. And, and then we were seeing all the challenges that states were having bidding against each other for products. And all of a sudden, the products were raising up and price gouging and all this stuff. And we're like, you know, I went to our investors and I'm like, I know this is crazy, but you know, I believe that our platform with our permission-based marketplace controls would be perfect to help out the country with distributing this PPE product. Um, would you allow us to just give it for free to the government and then 
and we just run with it. And they said, yes, they threw in an extra 750 K. So that ended up, ended up the finished off the 3 million. And then we brought on like 150 companies, some from all different verticals, like, um, like the uh, distillers association, they were using ethanol to create hand sanitizer. Um, and all these other people that were trying to pitch in and we, and we learned a lot, like one, don't pivot to another vertical immediately until you absolutely understand what you're doing. So, but number two was we were getting in the middle of these multi-million dollar transactions between healthcare providers in the United States that had uh, their traditional supply chains had broken down. And all of a sudden, now they're having to go source product out of APEC in China. And they, they traditionally had like a five to seven day onboarding process to vet a new seller, make sure that their credit was good, make sure they had insurance, make sure they had referrals. And they couldn't do that during COVID because they're like, oh, we need these cranberry gloves or N95 masks. And they would be gone in 10 seconds if you found the supply. You just had to give a 50% deposit or 100% deposit via escrow immediately. And so we're like, man, we can't get in the middle of these transactions. We don't have the right technology. Um, and then, so then some of these companies were going offline. And then those are the transactions you would see about or read about in the paper where it's like, healthcare company buys $5 million in N95 gloves, truck shows up to warehouse in Shanghai, nothing there. And so this was happening all over the place. And we're like, we have to find a better... Like We didn't solve it now, but we're going to find a way to solve it moving forward. And so that's one of the main reasons why we had merged with that fintech company. is because it allowed us to be able to create this core transaction that um, a, uh, did all the payment systems, the escrow, the ACH, the booking of freight, everything online or in our platform and not offline. And the second part is it allowed us to build that trade pass technology where it brings someone signs up in 15 minutes and then we check 2000 different data points about that company, about credit insurance, are they on a watch list, anything like that, completely verify them, all their locations, their cert- certificates. Then they have this dynamic 24 7, 365 passport that allows them to do business with anybody that they want to. And then that trading partner, when they exchange trade pass IDs, they can instantly see who they're going to be deciding to do business with. And all the information is verified. So reducing that friction. And also that risk was, was a huge, huge thing. So it's going to help uh, build our network out and make it a much more safer way and faster way to do commerce. And that was one of the biggest things we learned from doing that COVID-19 pivot. So like I said, I wish we would have done more. We tried really hard to make a huge impact. Um, but we, we do feel very confident that when the next huge thing happens, that we're going to be a, a big help to it. Awesome. Yeah, that's helpful. And so, so, you know, if some of this money was coming in, you know, it sounds like, you know, this was somewhat over a period of time, you know, you raised a couple of million dollars earlier, then you had yeah. a little bit more put in over COVID. And were you raising it at the same valuation that you got at the 2 million? Or did you also increase the valuation when you put in some of the, you know, but even though, I mean, but that could be hard if you're going to increase the valuation and it's during COVID and there's just chaos going on. Right. Uh, we, we increased the three seeds each time. And then uh, when they pitched in for COVID, we just did a note and we just locked it in at the value before for a cap and that was it. And so wanted to throw our investors a bone a little bit on that one. Um, and then, um, and then, yeah, I think you were asking about valuations as far as us moving forward. I, I think we've talked that we're in the middle of our series A right now. And so we're, we're in an interesting spot where we, it took us about three to four months to merge the two technologies between the FinTech technology and our marketplace technology, and then also finish off the trade pass 1.0. So we launched that probably last, I think last Monday we came out with that. And so 
Uh, we're getting the 37 companies on. It's actually a mix of distributors, manufacturers, and end users. And um, I mean, we've got about 50,000 of transactions that have just kind of trickled through uh, real quick. But uh, everyone's just kind of getting their, their product catalogs uploaded and uh, all their users up, So, which only takes about a week or so. So um, yeah, in the next month, we'll really see uh, what we're starting to push through. On the valuation, we've kind of positioned ourselves as post-product pre-revenue. So we're in a kind of this pilot phase right now. And that's tough with VCs and PEs. You know, they've got their metrics they look at and their KPIs, and we completely understand that. And so um, probably talked to 45 VCs so far um, over the last six months. And uh, we're just we're looking for somebody that that understands that we are addressing an extremely large five trillion dollar market and we built something completely new and a different model, not a traditional two-sided B2B marketplace. We're a market network and we really feel that this is going to be the most beneficial thing to all participants, this new model that we are building, that we have built and uh, looking for the right investor investors uh, to come in and get behind us to continue to allow us to build out these tools that the industry is asking us to create for them. So I think we've got kind of a limited down. We got it pretty narrowed down to probably the final five or 10. I think it's going to be a mix of strategics within the industry and then also from a couple of VCs. The key with the strategics that's been hard with some of them is that, you know, some of the larger guys that have come in that have looked at this opportunity, they want to take it all. And we're like, you know, you have to understand what we're building and respect what we're building. We're building a network. And so we don't root for any particular company. We don't have any horse in the race. We are just trying to provide everybody with a tool and a weapon that they can go to battle against these monopolies. But just because you are the, the main investor in our company, you're not going to get any special access to data. You're not going to get any different tool that someone else is. And so some of the larger companies are having a hard time grasping that. They're used to being the big behemoth and just taking it all. And so it's taken a little while to find the right partners that understand that you know, there's going to be a network. Not every, there's no way that some company is going to survive and win by just having a digital linear business model, just having a website where someone comes on and buys their products and then they have to go log into 27 other websites for different products. They need to be able to be part of a network and have that type of buying experience. So um, yeah, we're starting to get to the right people. It makes sense. And, and my last question there is NACD, do they get warrants or any kind of upside for helping to bring more distributors? Hey, if we can get 50 distributors on here, you know, uh, give us, you know, some share in all the value that's going to create for the company, or is there any kind of, uh, you know, long-term alignment there for all the value that they're bringing in, in these early days to Blue Palette? Yeah. I mean, it's been a, they, they have very strict guidelines. And so um, they're a 501c3. They can't, uh, because of that, they can't openly promote a particular product. But, um, but we, we do offer a model that we will be replicating with other trade associations where we do want to give back if, if they're, if they're, uh, people in their, in their industry or their trade association are doing transactions, we want to be able to share that with the trade associations because the stronger the trade associations get, the better it is for us. And because they are able to do a certain type of vetting that we're unable to do. So the more we're able to work with people that are in these trade associations that go through the two or three-year audits, and the more that we can funnel people into that situation, the better for us. And so and they also do a lot of, a lot of stuff um, as far as regulatory and they work with you know, this last last week we're meeting with congressmen and senators and talking about important things that that have to do with uh, transportation and logistics and tariffs and that stuff that we all want to 
all want to support. So uh, it just makes sense. And it's kind of a win-win situation. We just say, listen, we want to build this for you. We're not taking this uh, square peg and trying to cram it into a round hole. You just tell us what you want us to build and we'll build it. And we also want to support all your guys' efforts as well. And, and, they, and the president of NACD, the first time I met him, he's like, you can't fake this. You can't come in here and say you're going to be a part of this and that you actually care about the distributors and then walk off and then hope to make some money off it. Like you have to be here and you got to do the grind. And so we've been to every conference. We've gone to Mineral Wells, Texas and Tuttle, Oklahoma and got with everybody everywhere else that you could imagine to talk with everybody. And, you know, we're bought in. So these are our partners. That's great, man. Well, Scott, we wish you the best. Thanks for coming on the show and sharing some of the Blue Palette story. I think, you know, it's off to a great start here and off to a great start, which means you're a few years into it. But, you know, lots of exciting stuff in, in the future that I, that I think it'll hold for, for you and the team. So um, great to have you on. Great to kind of hear some of the updates and, and uh, definitely stay in touch. All right. Thanks for all you guys do for us too. We appreciate it. Keep all the great content coming. Thanks, Scott. That was really great to have him on from um, CEO of Blue Palette and lots of, lots of interesting activity going on with B2B marketplaces. I really think that over the next few years, I mean, we're already starting to see some B2B marketplace unicorns, but over the next few years, we're just going to see more and more of how, you know, what we've been seeing in B2C for the past 20, 25 years. Um, really the, the next battleground is B2B distribution and B2B distribution, um, dwarfs the size of the B2C market. It is easily the largest, uh, single industry. If you add up all the different verticals of B2B distribution, uh, the largest single industry in the United States, some estimates between six to $8 trillion in size. When you look at all the different verticals, you know, chemical being one. There are a myriad of others. So lots of great activity there. Check out our top 50 B2B marketplace uh, ranking, which came out recently uh, and that I mentioned Blue Pal is a part of. Hi, I'm Alex. Thanks for watching the show. Make sure to hit that subscribe button, but even better, make sure to follow us on Odyssey, follow us on Rumble, and text us 203-646-5159. Text the word Monopoly. You'll be subscribed. You'll get updates about when we're going live our latest videos, and we'll send you even a little goodie bag. And in the event that we all get banned from big tech, we'll still be connected.